Welcome to Surveillance Report 41, where we are dedicated to keeping you as private and secure as possible with the latest news in the field so you can be aware of the latest threats and what to do about them. It's, it's a very messy field, so we're here for you. This report features the Air India data breach along with many others, a lot of Apple and Google updates, like a lot, so get ready. Um, there's also a lot of other company news. Today's just a really busy day overall. There's also some fascinating research. There's updates to the Colonial Pipeline and ransomware attack from last week. And also there's some proof that the US spies on its own people, which people still don't believe happens. Um, and also we have some misfits, including how someone found Joe Biden's Venmo account. So lots of fun stuff. Get ready for a crazy report. I'm Henry from TechLore. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And today's report is gonna feature two affiliate links of ours. That's right, two. The first is ProtonMail. If you're looking for an open source email service that allows you to encrypt emails to external contacts who don't use ProtonMail and don't wanna bother with PGP, ProtonMail is a pretty decent option to make email a little bit less sucky. The second link below is for Simple Login, which is an open source email tool that lets you generate email aliases on the fly. You can combine these tools together for like an ultimate little privacy email solution where no one needs to know your email address. We've covered Simple Login more in depth in its own video, and I literally question to this day how I survived for so long without it, because it's just that nice. So check out links to both of those down below and help support us in doing this every week. We're gonna start this week with data breaches, and we're gonna start with the massive cyber attack of the week, which was Air India. The personal data of Air India passengers, which doesn't, it doesn't just include Indian passengers of Air India, this includes all worldwide people who have used Air India, and this includes things like their names, date of births, contact information, passport information, ticket information, and credit card data. This isn't just recent data, it's from data from August 11th, 2011 to February 3rd, 2021. They have taken taken a lot of precautions since then. They recommend people change their passwords. This is just a reminder that every company you do business with can eventually leak your data, even almost 10 years later. Our next story is going to come from the US Military Veterans. A company called United Valor Solutions provides disability evaluation services for the Veterans Administration and other federal agencies. They leaked nearly 200,000 medical records of veterans, and that includes names, date of birth, sex, reason for the visit, medical record number, email, phone number, admin user information, invoicing data, and more. The company claims that no data was accessed, but the researcher who reported this story found a ransomware readme file and other evidence of intrusion. Our final data breach story has to do with the healthcare system, which we're seeing a lot more stories come out of this. So just a note in the beginning, we need to really follow this closely because this isn't just data that's being stolen here. We might be looking at lives eventually. There's a ransomware attack on the healthcare admin company CaptureRx, which exposes multiple providers across the United States. CaptureRx has a clientele spanning of 8.7 million patients, and the victims of this ransomware attack range from drugstores to hospitals, and it affected up to 31,000 people. Data included names, date of births, prescription information, and medical record numbers. So this was a data-only ransomware attack, but it's just important to mention that the entire healthcare industry right now is kind of the next big thing that's being attacked. So keep your eye on this. We're getting pretty much a healthcare story almost every week at this point. So moving into companies, we're going to start off with Apple. Apple said that in 2020, they prevented a million risky or vulnerable apps from entering the App Store. Apple said that in 2020, they rejected 48,000 apps due to undocumented or hidden features. 
150,000 were rejected for being either spam, copycats of existing apps, or manipulating or misleading users into making purchases. And an additional 215,000 were rejected for seeking more user data than what they actually needed. It's good to see that Apple does actually vet the apps in their store, and it does help bolster their claim of superiority over Android. But also, uh, just kind of keeping context that this was probably a PR response to the next story, which is that Apple had discussed disclosing a 128 million iPhone hack and then decided not to. Researchers uncovered 4,000 malicious apps in the App Store. Those apps would have made those iPhones part of a botnet. Apple managers determined that a total of 128 million devices were infected. So 128 different iPhones downloaded these apps. Apple talked about it amongst themselves. Do we let people know? Ultimately, what they decided to do was they never actually directly informed the users. Instead, they posted a website, which has now been deleted, like a, a blog or a page that had a very vague warning, you know, like if any user has downloaded the following apps. So yeah, not, uh, not great on their end. And now we're going to migrate to Google, who had a lot of news. I'm going to go through this as quick as I can. The first story is Google's been accused of reselling personal data without reporting it. Essentially, three people have accused Google of selling user data, such as browsing history, location, interests, and or ethnicities to third parties at auction. Uh, Google claims that it did sell anonymized data. But the real question is what difference does that make who has access to this kind of data and who's being sold that data and what kind of repercussions are there for individuals? Once the data is collected, you have lost control of it. That's kind of the big takeaway here. Google can do anything they want with this data. They can break the law if they want to and just give it to anyone else. You don't own your data once you give it to a company like Google. I'm also just constantly amazed. Like we saw this with Cambridge Analytica as well. I'm just constantly amazed that people are like, oh no, this third party had my data and that's not okay. But why is it okay when Google has it? Next up, uh, this is kind of a weird one, but Google's rolled out a privacy... <laughs> privacy update with new machine learning features for Google Analytics. Pretty much Google Analytics is supposed to feature machine learning to help marketers predict trends and do all these cool things. And, and now it's more privacy friendly because they don't have access to some data points. If I understand this correctly, it just seems like Google's doing more of the first party tracking here and not revealing as much information to third parties. Our next one is, <laughs> on, in my opinion, it's really stupid. So Google has introduced this new Zap recent search for their privacy push for their brand, where pretty much you can, <laughs> you can just eliminate the last, what is it, 15 minutes of search history just right away. It's not clear if Google will still keep that data and do things with it. It seems like a very superficial surface level thing that they're doing to make people feel more private. The next one is super quick. I just wanted to bring this up that Google has now introduced their first retail store in New York City. You might be wondering, Henry, why did you throw this in the surveillance support? And that's because in our consulting, almost everybody I talk to tries to get a phone, a Google Pixel unlocked to flash a custom ROM on it. And they always ask me, how in the world do I do this? Because it's so much easier with iPhones. With an iPhone, you walk into an Apple store, you give them cash and you walk out with an unlocked iPhone that you can use on any cell carrier. So this is exciting because if we actually do get more Google stores around the country, it'll be so much easier to just walk in and get an unlocked pixel that you can flash any custom ROM onto. Our next story is Android 12 is hoping to centralize their privacy controls a little bit more. Again, mostly superficial stuff here. I don't think there's anything new. I think it's still the same permission manager. It's mostly the same stuff that you can do with applications. It's just a nice little clean polished area. Even more, there already is a privacy control center in Android 11, but I guess they're gonna take this a little bit step 
they're going to take this a step further in Android 12. They'll also be adding uh, camera and mic indicators like how Apple did for iOS 14. Perfect. Thank so you. So when an app is using your, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's a cool improvement. And let's talk about Facebook and WhatsApp real quick. Uh, Facebook is being ordered to stop collecting German WhatsApp user data. Hamburg's privacy authority named Johannes Casper has announced a three-month three month emergency ban on Facebook collecting data from WhatsApp users in response to WhatsApp's newest update, uh, newest privacy policy, excuse me. The article didn't really specify, but I'm assuming that this is a temporary injunction while they investigate or open a new case, whatever the case may be. India has also asked WhatsApp to withdraw their privacy policy update and has threatened further action if they don't do anything. And Turkey, surprisingly, has successfully pressured Facebook into not applying the new update in their country, mainly on anti-monopoly laws. Our next story is a little bit creepy, and I haven't even seen it being shared around very much for some reason. Amazon's Sidewalk Network, which is their new mesh network they announced a bit of time ago, where essentially a neighborhood can share all their devices with each other. So you can be walking, and even though you're not connected to your Wi-Fi network, your phone can be connecting to someone's Alexa and you can be using their Wi-Fi network. It's just this big giant shared mesh network, which sounds kind of cool, but Amazon's the one in control of it. The big problem here is Amazon is having this be a default enabled for all their devices on June 8th. You can turn this off, but by default, most people probably won't do that. So if you own one of these devices and you're set on keeping it and not smashing it with a hammer. Make sure that you opt out of this on June 8th and make sure to let people know who have them to opt out. The source in the description shows you how to do this. It's in your settings, account settings, Amazon Sidewalk, and there's already a toggle that you can turn off now. Our next story is about a Chinese TV maker called Skyworth who is under fire for excessive data collection. A consumer found that Skyworth smart TVs are scanning for other devices on the local area network every 10 minutes and report back device names, IP addresses, network latency, and even other SSIDs or Wi-Fi names that are in range. The data was being sent back to Gozin Data in Beijing, a data and analytics company that specializes in targeted advertising on smart TVs. Skyworth responded by ending their partnership with Gozen Data and demanding the firm delete all of its illegally collected data. They also apologized for, quote, causing user concerns about privacy and security, unquote. I just got to point out, sorry to be cynical, they didn't actually apologize for collecting the data. They apologized for causing concerns. Anyways, apparently this kind of data collection is illegal in China. Gozen responded by saying they've been doing this since 2014. So they don't know what the big deal is. They only collected, quote, television ratings, viewership and analysis, advertising analysis, and optimization, unquote. Our next story is about Ford, the auto manufacturer. They have announced they're going to produce 30 million over-the-air capable vehicles by 2028. This essentially means the vehicle will always be able to contact uh, mother the mothership. This is very similar to how Tesla vehicles are. In fact, most vehicles nowadays are like that. Uh, to add a little bit more uncertainty to the situation, they have announced that this will also be in partnership with Amazon. So almost a million of these vehicles in the US and Canada will be using Alexa capabilities inside the car. Pretty much every new car nowadays is connecting to the internet in ways like this, even if it's not in the infotainment system. 
Right, this week, we have a story from the EFF about a privacy scandal in Japan that shows the dangers of privacy law loopholes. So there's a Japanese job search website called Rik Rikunabi, which I probably screwed that up. It's similar to Indeed or Glassdoor, and in fact, all three of them are owned by the same company. Between March 28, uh, yeah, 2018 and February 2019, Rikunabi was collecting user data to score users on how likely they were to decline a job offer or withdraw their applications. At least 35 companies, including Toyota and Mitsubishi, were using these scores. Japan has what's called the Act on Protection of Personal Information, or APPI, and it's considered almost on par with GDPR. Like, apparently this is a really strong privacy framework, but it does have a few noticeable loopholes. The loophole itself isn't really important in my opinion, but it is outlined in the article if you want to go read it. The takeaway is that there are loopholes, and it's important to be on the lookout for those, and even when privacy laws like this, or GDPR, or uh, what was California's, like, C CPPA or something, anyways, when those get passed, they're never going to be perfect, and it's always important to look out for those loopholes and push lawmakers to close them when we, we can. Our next story is about Vizio, which is a TV company. You might associate them with like the budget TV companies because that's mostly what they are. So Vizio has announced that they make nearly as much money from ads and data as they do from their TVs. The data is so valuable now. And they put in here that data is the new oil. You know, the new oil had to mention uh, how that... It works. It works well here. I can't stand how you can't get a TV nowadays, like a new TV that's not a smart TV. Every TV connects to the internet. It's pretty obvious why this is the case because, well... You see companies like Vizio make so much money from the amount of data collected on a television. Honestly, it, your best bet's to get a super big monitor nowadays. Walmart has announced plans to purchase virtual fitting room company Zkit. So fortunately, this, this is aimed at online shopping. I, I was really worried that this was gonna be a in-store in thing. Customers will be able to upload a photo of their choosing or they can pick a body type like a little online avatar and that way they can digitally try on clothes and they'll be able to get a better idea of how the clothes fit and how they look pretty cool i mean I, I definitely see the value of this but as always this will come with privacy concerns and coming from walmart i'm not really expecting them to honor privacy so just something to be aware of as technology like this rolls out our final company news is from privacy.com who gives out those disposable Credit card numbers, debit card numbers on, on the internet. It's, it's a really good aliasing service. You should check them out. But they've announced something called Lithic, which is pretty much an enterprise version of their normal suite. So this would allow you as a company to offer employees their own debit cards that are still tied to the same bank account. And there's some other cool things that you can do with uh, disbursements and, and things of that nature. So this is mostly aimed at people who might own a small business. And let's move into research. We had some really interesting research stories this week. We're gonna start off with AirTags. There were a billion AirTag stories in my newsfeed this past couple weeks. So I'm gonna try my best to sum up at least everything I saw. So for those who don't know, AirTags are Apple's latest hardware accessory. It's a tiny little Bluetooth homing beacon. Uh, one article said it was about the size of a quarter, and it can be used to track your luggage, your keys, or even people, hopefully with their consent. People are rightfully so expressing some concern with AirTags. The biggest issue is the fact that they are so small and easily hidden, and they basically piggyback off the mesh network of Apple devices. If somebody slips an AirTag into your backpack without you noticing, you can very easily be tracked by that person. It won't make any kind of detection for at least three days. It raises a lot of concerns about the ability to 
track people in the real world without their consent. That's the biggest concern that a lot of people are raising. We've also already found at least two vulnerabilities. One, a researcher was able to modify the lost link. Whenever somebody finds an AirTag, they have an ability to contact the owner in case a person legitimately just like lost it. It basically generates a custom link and the person can click on that link and get in contact with the owner. Well, this researcher found a way to modify that link so they could send them to a phishing website or download malware, something like that. Another person found the AirTags can be used to create a regularly updated map of nearby devices based on when those devices connect, when they come and go, how long since they were connected, things like that. And this can create a pattern that is visible to not just Apple, but also the end user who has the app to monitor these AirTags. The good news is that the, the lost link, the first hack, requires physical access to the device. As for the other one, I guess just turn off your, your Find My feature if you're not using it. Our next story is very fascinating. If you follow anything that Nate and I say, you've probably heard of JavaScript and how there's different ways of tracking users within the same browser. Okay, there's lots of really fancy ways of doing things and we give you a lot of ways to prevent this. This is new. This is a way of cross-browser tracking. So you're gonna have the same unique identifier between different browsers. This works within Tor, Safari, Chrome, and Firefox, essentially every main browser out there. I actually just tested this before we recorded, and it worked because of one program that I had installed on my system. So I tried it in Brave, and I got my identifier. It was 99.59% unique which is very unique. And then I opened up the Tor browser and ran the test there and it gave me the same identifier. So now all of my browsing traffic between Brave and Tor can be directly associated with each other, even though Tor is using its really robust anonymity network. Couple takeaways. One, there are things being done to mitigate this problem. This is something that I think Chromium already has an open issue for on GitHub. Uh, Firefox will probably be a little late to the punch like they normally are in fixing issues like this. Also kind of a big wake-up call. Everyone who's listening to this, you should go into sources and actually look at this resource because on this webpage, Fingerprint.js, which is the name of the company who figured this out, there is a live demonstration, which is what I used. So check out the live demo on their site and actually see for yourself how this works. It takes like 10 seconds. And it also shows you that there's applications, very limited applications they're looking for. Some of these include Spotify, Zoom, Xcode, NordVPN, Telegram, Discord, TeamViewer. If you have any of these programs installed on your computer, they're the ones that are gonna be really helping finding these identifiers. We're gonna keep following it. Hopefully it's patched very soon. We have a quick story about some Wi-Fi vulnerabilities. A whole new batch of vulnerabilities were discovered that stretch as far back as WEP Wi-Fi, which is super, super old. Additionally, it basically covers every kind of device that has a Wi-Fi connection. So the good news is most of these attacks are very difficult to pull off and require user interaction. So, you know, it's not like a zero click thing. The other piece of good news is that this disclosure is coming nine months after the initial discovery. So the companies have had plenty of time to issue patches. The key there is your device have to, has to be capable of receiving updates. Once again, if you have IOT devices, make sure that they get updates. Our next story goes back to cars, and this is a really simple one. There have been some researchers who have developed a way to wirelessly charge vehicles on the road. So the way they envision this is kind of like a a carpool lane, you would have a charging lane, so you can just go off into the lane and the lane's able to charge your car wirelessly. We put it in here because it might be, it might just be another method of tracking users in the future. And Italy has actually announced that they're gonna 
try to build one. They're going to build a one-kilometer strip on a highway between Milan and Bessia. Even though this is a research article, it looks like it's already going into action. All right, and our last research story is about how AI could hypothetically steal your data by quote-unquote lip-reading your keystrokes. It's pretty straightforward, so the author asserts that AI is becoming so good that even with grainy, like, low-quality footage, we could teach it how to do things. Like, for example, if a camera sees you typing in your password on a keyboard, it can figure out what keys you hit and extract that data. Let's move into politics. We're going to talk about the big story in the last two weeks, the Colonial Pipeline hack. We briefly mentioned that on the last surveillance report. For those who live under a rock, because I'm sure this made international news as well, two weeks ago, there was a major U.S. fuel pipeline called the Colonial Pipeline. It got shut down due to ransomware, which basically killed fuel supplies in the U.S. eastern seaboard. A lot of gas stations ran out of gas. A lot of places were hugely spiking the price of gas because of demand. Details are still coming out. The pipeline has since been reopened. Things have kind of gotten back to normal. But long story short is they got it back up and running because they actually paid the ransom because they decided this is unacceptable. We can't afford the downtime and we're just going to have to pay the ransom. The ironic thing that kind of sucks is apparently the decryption key or the decryption software that the hackers or criminals gave them was awful and it was super slow and so they ended up just pulling their backups anyways and just to add on to that a lot of the infosec community is kind of pissed off here for for a couple reasons one they very much discourage paying the ransom because just like you know we don't negotiate with terrorists the more people who pay the ransom the more successful these are and the more they're going to happen in the future the second reason that they're unhappy is because even when you pay the ransom it's not like it's just an immediate fix People think that when you pay the ransom, it's just going to go live the next day. And I think someone actually compiled the biggest ransoms that were paid. And I think the average length of time to fully recover from them was something of like six months. And on that note, the Darkside Ransomware Gang, which was the, the ransomware gang responsible for this attack, they quit after this. <laughs> Uh, mostly because they had a large number of their servers and their Bitcoin stolen. The majority of their public-facing infrastructure was seized and shut down, and their Bitcoin was transferred to, quote, an unknown address, unquote. Just a little last note on that that I thought was really funny. Darkside specifically, but all ransomware discussions have been banned on the Russian cybercrime forum XSS because basically because of this attack, ransomware is now extremely high profile. The next story, a little context. I got into a discussion with one of our moderators on Discord. Legally speaking, we're not allowed to spy on U.S. citizens. Right? Like, we have all this invasive surveillance going on, but technically speaking, it's not allowed to be used on U.S. citizens. And so they asked me, hey, do you think that the U.S. spies on its own citizens? And I go, well, of course they do. I mean, there's so much evidence, there's so much data. We've seen so many stories that couldn't happen unless they track their own citizens. And also, are you telling me that they have some magic way of filtering out everything that they're collecting? Like, what happens if a U.S. citizen travels to France? Are they able to, like, now exclude that U.S. citizen from data collection in France? There's just... There's no way. And so this is really important because we finally have a good story that's come out that talks about the Pentagon that's surveilling Americans without a warrant. And this just ties into a lot of different stories we've been hearing that all goes back to buying data without warrants from companies who collected the data for them. This means when you download your calculator application and it's able to collect data and send it to some data broker, that data broker now has data on you from your location to maybe your name. It's being able to tie it to other pieces of information. And that data can be scooped up by people like the NSA and the DIA and the Pentagon and really anybody else who wants US data. And this is all legal because they're not actually doing the data collection. They're just buying it from people 
who do the data collection. We kind of stopped covering these stories because they were happening every single week. But if you go back to the earlier surveillance reports, this is something that we constantly talked about, especially with the location purchasing, like the location data purchasing happening with these different applications. And this is also Senator Wyden, who's from Oregon, who's kind of always been the person ahead of the surveillance stuff. Good job, Mr. Ron Wyden, on initiating this. In response to one of the stories covered in the past, Wyden requested more information about the DOD. He can't disclose all of it due to some of it being classified, but he is calling on the DOD to be the DOD to be more transparent about what's happening. He says none of the questions he asked raise national security concerns, so pretty much there's no reason for them to not release this information unless they have something to hide, ironically. Our next story is, uh, I guess, kind of in that same vein. The Department of Homeland Security has launched a quote-unquote warning system to find domestic terrorism threats on public social media. The DHS is attempting to gather and analyze public social media posts in order to predict future terrorism threats. Interestingly, they claim that currently they're not using humans, or excuse me, they are using humans and not algorithms to analyze this information. And they also say that they're not looking at who posted it, they're looking at the post itself. They also haven't disclosed what criteria or methods they are using to pick these posts and what they're looking for. So they're, they're really just not inspiring a lot of confidence at all. Our next story is just an interesting story, kind of one of those, um, you would think that that wouldn't happen here things. Under the Trump administration, Trump tried to use the Justice Department to use a grand jury to identify a critic on Twitter. So there was a Twitter user that was criticizing California Rep Representative Devin Nunez. Trump tried to order the Justice Department to figure out who that was. That just seems like something that would not happen here in the US because we're supposed to have free speech and all that. He may have gone about it more officially, but for the record, I don't think that's a Trump thing. I think that's a government thing, personally. I think even though the government may not be using the Justice Department, I think they totally try to figure out who people are all the time. Okay, our next story is about the Washington DC police. Two weeks ago, I talked about this story. I talked about how the DC police had been the victim of a ransomware gang. I had mistakenly reported that the group suddenly closed up shop. I apologize, I misread the article. Here's what's actually happened. The group basically said that no matter what happened, they were gonna close up shop after this attack. So whether they paid, whether they didn't pay, they're calling it quits either way. Well, the, the police didn't pay, the group followed through and posted thousands of documents that included psychological evaluations, disciplinary reports, and even names of police informants. So that's not gonna turn out well. The group had asked for $4 million. Allegedly, the police counter offered with $100,000, which they obviously found insulting. On the topic of law enforcement, Emails show that Crime App Citizen is testing an on-demand security force. Citizen is an app that became popular in recent years and it allows users to report ongoing crimes in the area, kind of like a digital neighborhood watch thing. According to some leaked emails and some anonymous employees, Citizen is now teaming up with Securitas, Los Angeles Professional Security, and some other private security firms to provide on-call private security to users who request it. The app already provides a $20 a month subscription called Protect, and that transmits user location when it's activated, and it can stream video upon uttering safe word, and both of those things will go to citizen employees. It also provides, quote, instant emergency response to your exact location, unquote. So it's not clear if this is gonna be a separate service or if it's gonna be part of the Protect subscription. Our next story is a really quick one. Uh, because of the Colonial Pipeline attack we just talked about, President Biden has signed an executive order to improve government cybersecurity, which sets new standards. It's kind of a good PR move for him, I'm sure, but hopefully we will see some of these improvements, which should be taking place over the course of the next six months. It may also start trickling down to the consumer level as well. Overall, it's been praised by the InfoSec community, but I don't know how much it's actually going to improve things. 
And the next one is, what was it about a year ago? I think Amazon just committed to banning their use of facial recognition software with police. And now they have decided to extend this. I think Nate wrote here it's privacy washing because it's only for police use that they're not using Amazon stuff. But I mean, it's overall not a bad thing, so. I mean, it's certainly not a bad thing, but police still have access to ring cameras yeah. and Amazon can still, you know, sell it to private companies and they can also go overseas and sell it to other companies and police departments and governments. And, but I mean, yeah, it, you're right. It was about a year ago. It was when the, uh, the George Floyd protests really kicked off. And so, you know, as part of their PR stunt, Amazon said they were gonna place a one year moratorium on it. And I was actually kind of surprised they extended it, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you're right. Maybe I'm being a little too cynical, but... It is just for the facial recognition software. So it is yes, very it is specifically there. for recognition with a K. This story was kind of a big story. The actual article is called Censorship, Surveillance, and Profits, A Hard Bargain for Apple in China. This is a pretty long article, but I completely recommend taking the time to read it because there's no way that we can do it justice just with our, our highlights here. But the highlights that are, are worth noting are that Apple has significantly altered their infrastructure and the way that they do business in order to comply with demands from the Chinese government so that they can go ahead and operate in that market. And one of the biggest things that people were pointing out that they did is Apple is now keeping iCloud keys for Chinese users in Chinese data centers where the Chinese government has jurisdiction. So basically, if you're an Apple user in China, it doesn't matter if you encrypt your iCloud because you're password your key is also located in a chinese data center where the chinese government can just go grab it this is something we talk about when you're using a service unless it has end-to-end -end encryption you're trusting the service with those encryption keys with end-to-end -end encryption though that's not happening so in theory the chinese government won't be able to access imessage iMessages between two users. But with something like icloud which is not end-to-end -end encrypted and it's just some key stored by apple that will be able to be accessed so just an FYI on how that technology works for those new to this. And on the topic of China, China has called out ByteDance, the, the owners of TikTok, LinkedIn, and uh, Kaishou for illegal data collection. They actually called out 105 applications, including some of the most uh, popular video platforms, and they were all put on notice by the cyberspace admin of China. Let's talk about Ireland's healthcare ransomware saga real quick. This is not in the data breach section because right now nothing has been leaked. So I think it was sometime last week, Ireland's healthcare services got hit by ransomware. Ireland, in a good move, chose not to pay. So they did put out a warning to tell people, you know, be on the lookout for leaked data, any sort of social engineering, phishing things, stuff like that. We do not know at this time exact numbers or what specific data was taken. Ireland also issued an injunction against the ransomware group responsible for this called Conti in an effort to stop them from leaking the data. I don't know what that was supposed to do, but they did that. This just happened, I think today or yesterday, in a very rare and confusing move. Conti actually gave the decryption key back to Ireland free of charge. So Ireland hasn't paid them, but they were just like, you know what, here, you can decrypt your data. Maybe that's because of the whole colonial pipeline thing. And now again, ransomware has become, you know, high profile target. And so maybe they're trying to not draw too much attention. I don't know. They are still demanding ransom or else they will release the data they've already stolen. So our final political story this week is in Brazil, where 350,000 people in Sao Paulo uh, have now overall got a win because now they have blocked facial recognition on the public transport, specifically Metro. Let's go ahead and move on to the open source section, free and open source, FOSS. And this is an update to last 
Surveillance Report story, which was Audacity was planning on introducing telemetry data collection into the program. Because of all the backlash, they have dropped all plans of doing this. We have another update to an older story. So last year it was revealed that an unknown malicious actor, probably a group, had compromised as much as 23% of Tor exit nodes in order to perform SSL stripping attacks to steal cryptocurrency. The Tor te team responded at the time by quickly disabling all of those nodes and very aggressively squashing out any new nodes that popped up that were utilizing this malicious technique. However, new research that has come out suggests that these attacks are still ongoing. I am totally pro Tor. I like Tor. I think it's got its uses, but remember that you are running off a network of volunteers. And unfortunately that means some crappy people will inevitably weasel their way in. So be sure to look for HTTPS in the address bar. Make sure that you are on the correct site. You are not being fished. As always people, no matter how good a tool is, you should always assume that the tool's compromised. It's the best way to look at things. It doesn't matter how good or recommended it is. You always layer things up so that if one thing fails, you have other things that are helping protect you. Our next story moves over to Matrix, which is the federated open source messaging platform. And so this specifically ties with Element. Element is a client that you can use the Matrix protocol on. Uh, we have a very large community on Matrix, which you should join. It's in the description of every podcast and every video. So go ahead and check that out. And it's called Spaces. So for some reason, everyone called Matrix a Discord alternative, which makes no sense to me because it's nothing like Discord. But this actually brings it a little bit closer to being a Discord alternative because it very cleanly allows you to join different channels that are all still part of the same, quotes community. It's not anywhere near as polished, especially since it's in beta still, and it's not even on the iOS client yet. It's a pretty cool update, and it really brings it closer to Discord's capabilities. It will not be used in our communities, which we've been getting that question a lot, until it's more polished and it's out of beta. Our next story is Mozilla, who has started rolling out site isolation, which is a security feature on Firefox browser. What this does is it loads each website separately in its own operating system process, and because of this, it prevents untrusted code from a rogue website from accessing confidential information stored on other websites. So it's just a, an extra security protocol. This is really cool. Good job, Mozilla. Um, but an FYI, and this is why a lot of people say Chromium is more secure, not private, more secure than Mozilla. Chromium's had this since version 67, which was in late May 2018, which is almost exactly three years ago. So will this, uh, when this feature rolls out to everyone, will that replace like the Firefox containers plugin? No, I, I don't think they're related at all. Okay, because I'm always on the lookout for, you know, the chance to get rid of another plugin. No, these are two very different things as far as I know. Also, I'm, I'm simplifying a lot of things. So definitely, like, if you're on the podcast, check out the sources below. It goes a lot deeper into this and how this whole attack works. Our next story is about Brave. Brave has teamed up with Unstoppable Domains, who is a blockchain domain name provider, to expand access to, quote, decentralized and blockchain domain names, unquote, for users. This includes domains ending in .crypto and other Web3 sites. I think Unstoppable Domains reached out to us, but I don't understand anything about this stuff. So if you're watching the podcast, fill me in. I'm genuinely asking, like, what am I going to use it for? <laughs> like, why do I need this domain? I feel kind of the same way because I, I know um, when Status IM had like its 15 minutes of fame and one of the, their things that they advertise is, is uh, using Web3. And I was kind of like, I don't know what this is. I've never heard of this before. So I'm with you. If anybody wants to explain that, that would be amazing. 
Our last file story is just a real quick one. Fedora 32 has reached end of life. So if you are a Fedora user, if for some reason you are on Fedora 32, make sure you update. Last but not least, let's roll into our Misfits section. And we're going to start with the big story of the week, which is BuzzFeed News found Joe Biden's secret Venmo. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and read the quote because I think they summed it up really well. On Friday, following a passing mention in the New York Times that the president had sent his grandchildren money on Venmo, BuzzFeed News searched for, for, searched for the president's account using only a combination of the app's built-in search tool and public friends feature. In the process, BuzzFeed News found nearly a dozen Biden family members and mapped out a social web that encompassed not only the first family, but a wide network of people around them, including the president's children, grandchildren, senior White House officials, and all of their contacts on Venmo. Unquote. So it turns out that Venmo has an option to make your transactions private, but not your friends list, which is uh, a great example of metadata and is obviously very revealing about people that are close to you and, you know, the social circles you run in, which could give further insight into, you know, your political beliefs, your socioeconomic status, all kinds of things. Our next story is, man, I don't know how to feel about this. I, I, I read it and I read it a second time and I'm just confused. So the story is there's this company called Pim Eyes, which is essentially Clearview AI. If you don't know what Clearview AI is, it's a massive database of essentially almost every image of people on the internet. So if you took a picture of someone on the street, you could put this into Clearview AI and it'll show you all images of the person on the internet. The only problem is Clearview AI only works with police enforcement. This one's a little bit different. This one is actually open to the public. So you can go on their website right now and sign up for this and load any image of anyone you want and see where those images are on the internet. So the whole thing is it's a subscription service. This isn't free. You upload your image and it'll show you all images that found of you on the internet. And then it gets rid of them for you. I'm just confused. I think it's creepy nonetheless, but I'm confused on like what they're going for here. I don't know if this is supposed to be a privacy tool or if it's supposed to be a tool to just like spy on other people. Our next story, for those who missed it, Apple introduced their new opt-in, opt-out feature where pretty much you can essentially opt out of tracking from applications. Only 13% of people actually opted in to data tracking. A large majority of people have opted out, which is overall a net win for privacy. So our next story comes from Australia. Australian federal police are training dogs to sniff out electronic devices the same way that you would uh, sniff out like drugs. The reason, not, not to get on my soapbox too much, but the reason that this story stuck out stuck out to me is because they went straight for the whole think of the children argument and this is an actual quote from their spokesperson quote a single usb can hold hundreds of thousands of child exploitation images or documents of crucial evidence for a police investigation however with the technology detection dogs we are able to detect their presence even when concealed unquote this frustrates me because it's like yeah a single usb can hold thousands of child exploitation images they can also hold tax records and you know personal photos and passwords they shouldn't, those should be on Bitwarden. Again, not to get on my soapbox too much, but honestly, in, in my experience, when the government is giving something a positive spin, that almost always means they're up to something nefarious. Like, I'm not even making this up. Look up like Project Sunshine. This was a real US program to steal the bodies of dead children and study the effects of nuclear radiation on it. And of course, they gave it the happiest name, Project Sunshine. Whenever the government is doing something like that, like you really need to be extra on guard because they're probably trying to slip something past you. And our last, story, we're going to end on a, a piece of good news here. There is an Australian digital real estate business called Domain Group, and they recently got targeted 
in a phishing attack, or their users got targeted in a, in a phishing attack that was site-wide. This is the particular quote that I thought made this worth sharing. Domain said that while the attack is a serious matter, at this point, its investigation showed only a small number of people may have engaged with the scam. Quote, clearly people are becoming more aware of how to spot suspicious online behavior and take protective measures not to engage in such activity, unquote. Good news, people are finally becoming aware of phishing. What is it, 20 years later? We're getting there, progress is being made. On that note, a lot of these stories are still unfolding. So make sure you're following this podcast through RSS, Spotify, or wherever you're listening in from so that you can catch next week's surveillance report and we're gonna follow things up and we're gonna keep you updated and keep you safe. Today's promo again is ProtonMail and Simple Login. So we have two links down below. Make sure to check those out. They're both free solutions. So there's really no harm in just trying them out, especially Simple Login. Again, like that works with any email inbox. Again, thanks for watching. Make sure to follow us, give us a rating if you're on a platform that allows ratings. Otherwise, just enjoy your week. Hope that you like this report and we'll see you next time.